Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Before we begin, we'd like to remind you that our ministry is supported 100% by listeners like you. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website. Well, everybody, welcome to Revolution. Welcome to Revolution, Bob. <laughs> Personalized greetings. Um, so today is a very rainy day in the Minneapolis, Minnesota area. And uh, yesterday was even worse. Non-stop rain. It's hard to be cheery when it's raining constantly and your son wants to go outside and play. Yeah. Um... So, I have this talk, and I've been thinking about it, and thinking about it, and kind of trying to rework it, and uh, I, I, I think what I want to do beforehand is just say, I have lately just been in a really, kind of a rut, and just feeling like my faith is kind of shaky, and uh, so it's... it's uh, it's a tough place to be when you're a pastor, and you know I was like, I'm, you know, I've realized too that I've been reading less, I've been doing certain things, my life has changed. I bought a house, you know, full time, you know, full time dad, but you know, I mean, a lot of time dad, <laughs> and uh, you know, I went to, uh, been taking some theology classes, but you know, just doubt comes in, and my doubt is a part of faith and uh but sometimes it's hard to preach when you're questioning things even today i was sitting in a coffee shop and there were two people doing a bible study next to me and you know they're talking about i think they were talking about temptation and things like that you know and i found myself like kind of rolling my eyes a little bit you know and i kind of like you know like oh this jesus stuff as i'm sitting preparing a sermon as I am sitting to work on a sermon, you know, and um, or just things that don't seem like they're part of my life as much anymore because of where I am in my own, I guess, walk. I don't know. It's uh, I don't. I want to be transparent, and so my transparency is to make sure that the folks here and the folks uh, online community too, you know, know that I'm where I'm at. Because I, I just, there's a part of me that just can't and doesn't want to be a fraud. There's a small part that wouldn't mind being a fraud. <laughs> and just fake it till I make it. Um, but yeah, it's tough. So I'm continuing on with talking about Jesus. And uh, spending a lot of time in the Gospels, which is, you know, different for me because I'm super Paulinian. Um, but it's been good. And so, just some some simple stories of, of Christ have, have comforted me. And so I want to continue to talk about some stuff that we've been talking about. And I'm going to start in Luke 19. And uh, you'll notice that this there's a been a thread, a common thread through the last few talks and not been planned at all. 
but I like the simplicity and beauty of some of these. You know, I, I believe this happened. You know, so I don't want to. When I say story, I don't mean like these stories. <laughs> quotation. <laughs> you know. Uh, but man, you know, being a preacher and wrestling with your faith, what a, what a fun thing to do. It's really cool if you're a musician, you know, because then you can be like David Bazan and write about it. <laughs> but preaching about it's a little bit harder. Um, Luke 19 says, He entered Jericho, and he was passing through it, and a man was there named Zacchaeus. He was his chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was. But because he was short of stature, <clears throat> because he was short, uh, oh, I'm sorry, but on account of the crowds, he could not see because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead of them and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus! Now, real quick, does, I remember in Bible school when I was a kid singing a song about Zacchaeus, a wee little man, a wee little man was he. A wee little man, a wee little man was he. Climbed up. Yeah. He climbed up the sycamore tree for the Savior thus to see. Yes. I remember that. You know, it's funny when you hear songs that I didn't realize, like, if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, was like, I didn't know that was just a normal kid's song. I thought it was a... So, in swimming lessons that I take with Milo, it says, if you're happy and you know it, and, you're, and your face will surely show it. But I go, and your life will surely show it. You know, because <laughs> that's how it was in Sunday school. Your life will surely show it if you're holy and you know it. Praise, say amen, amen. Oh, man. So still trying to deal with the baggage. So Jesus is, is, is walking down, um, in the crowd, I think we can all picture this. And Zacchaeus is short guy, uh, goes up on a tree to see him, full of crowds. And Jesus goes, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Now, if you remember when we talked about the woman at the well, you said Jesus had to go through Samaria, you know? And if you think about Levi's house, which we'll talk about in a second, Jesus, Matthew, or Levi at the time, I want to be a guest at your house. You know, you get this interesting thing of Jesus, of people who he's called to, and it's very interesting to me that it's tax collectors. Um, because these were folks that were so despised amongst their own community. You know, they were pawns for the Roman government and they were collecting taxes and they were seen as, you know, some of them were seen as traitors. And so it's interesting to me that Jesus picked out these people because so was, so was uh, Matthew, who was Levi, I mean, was a tax collector. So now we have two accounts where Jesus walks up to a tax collector calls him by name and says, I'm going to have dinner at your house. You know, that's, and we've talked about this before that, you know, it was to say, I want to, you know, to have dinner and share a meal was to say, I want to build covenant with you. I want to share my life with you. I want to build a friendship with you. 
So it goes on. I love this part because this seems to happen every time Jesus goes to eat somewhere. Um, so, so he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. But then it says, All who saw it began to grumble and said, He was gone to be a guest of the one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone or anything, I will pay them back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. Now, it's really easy to think that because he gave everything he had, because he said he was going to give everything away, that Jesus, but he says he's a son of Abraham. And Abraham is the father of faith. So it was saved by faith, not by works, not by any action, but just simply faith. And he showed his faith by being generous and saying he wanted to change his ways. And I mean, I guess if you're if you're face to face with a God man, um, <laughs> repentance probably comes out pretty easy. <laughs> uh, Lord, I'll. Uh... <laughs> I don't know what I would do. I'll take my library books back at time because that's the only son I have is late library books. Um, but so here he is, Jesus once again is saying, finding someone to say, I want to be with you. Again, people are angry, upset. Why does he eat with these people? And uh, we see this in Mark, which we've covered before. But I'm going to read it anyway. In Mark two fourteen, I'll start with thirteen. Jesus went again beside the sea. The whole crowd gathered around him, and he taught them. As he was walking along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collecting booth. So you know, this wasn't even like Levi wasn't even peeking, trying to get a peek of the Messiah. He's sitting collecting taxes. And he says to him, follow me. And he got up and followed him. As he sat at the dinner at Levi's house, many tax collectors and sinners were also sitting there. And when it goes on to say, then the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating. And what is he with such scum? You know, they were really upset about this. And Jesus is like, I've come to call sinners, not those who think they're good enough. You know, healthy people don't need a doctor. Sick people do. And, and on and on. But then again, you see here, he's, he, and what's important about this is most people, I think, if you understand how the tax collectors were seen, they were people that you did not make eye contact with because they could take up to half of what you had. I mean, you could be walking with two sheep and they could say, well, got to take one of those sheep off you, you know. Or they could just say, open your coin purse, whatever, you know, I got to take that. And then whatever they could get above that, they could keep them, they would keep themselves. So, I mean, this is really a despised group of people. And this is who Jesus is saying, I've come to call. This is who Jesus continues to say, I, I, I want to build a covenant with. And it, I saw this play once, and um, I, I can't remember the name of it. It's been so long since I saw it. But it took place in purgatory. And for some reason, Matthew was still in purgatory. And they were having people test give testimony. It was like a court case. I think the court case was 
either against Jesus, I can't remember exactly, but Matthew testifies and uh, has to give his testimony to the court. And he goes, you know, I was sitting there in my tax collecting booth, you know, and I'm so used to eyes, you know, hitting the ground when they come towards me. And here was this man who looked at me and really looked at me and saw through me. And I felt the presence and love of God in that moment. My whole life, people had rejected me. People had turned away from me. And for the first time, it felt like someone actually saw me. And uh, I remember being so touched by that and thinking how often we take that type of thing for granted. Now, also growing up, and, and a lot of us, if you grew up in the church, and I know a lot of us in the room here did, um, we're told not to associate with certain types of people, <laughs> you know. And the church is clear about, oh, well, you know, you can reach out to those people, but you can't, you know, you don't go to their house for dinner. You know, you don't build an intimate relationship with them. You know, you basically do your, you know, witness and then move on if they don't accept it. But you don't spend time with him. You don't build relationship with him. And Jesus was said to Levi, come follow me. And Levi got up, followed him and became Matthew and became one of his disciples. I mean, intimate relationship, you know. If you think about the dinners they had and, and, and uh, you know, laying around and I mean, they would be laying on one another, you know what I mean? That was a tight-knit group of people. And uh, they really cared for one another. So this is to me, is is something that's the, uh, the beauty of grace that you get to see in Christ with his meal sharing. It's just something he did. And he did it so much. Um, I know in Brennan Manning's book, he talked about, think, he says, he thought that um, Jesus must have had some sort of apartment or house or been like living with Peter or something like that. He's like, because Jesus seemed to entertain a lot. Um but Jesus also seemed to entertain a lot at other people's houses, you know, because there's a place that says, uh, you know, Jesus didn't have a place to lie his head. So he says, well, maybe we take that too literally. But Jesus was an entertainer. And uh, in Luke 7.34, I really should just memorize these scriptures. Um He's talking, he says, The Son of Man has come eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and a sinner. Nevertheless, wisdom is vindicated by all her children. But before that, he goes, For John the Baptist comes eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon. And then he says, The Son of Man comes eating and drinking, and you say, Look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So obviously Jesus did this enough that he had a reputation of being a drunk and a friend of the worst type of people. He had no reputation whatsoever. And it gets, I mean, and, and you know, as soon as you think, well, you know, Jesus really, you know, was he ate with sinners and, and loved with them, and then all he did was rebuke the Pharisees. And But if you look in Luke 7... Just write down, <laughs> it's 7.36, right after it says he's friends with drunks and sinners, 
He goes, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him and went into the Pharisee's house and took place at the table. So here we go, Jesus is eating with Pharisees. You know, he's dining with whoever opens their door to him. It's interesting, it reminds me of that picture of the Jesus knocking on the door. But you don't realize that Jesus is like, I want to come in and have dinner with you. I want to hang out. You know, I want to laugh. You know, why is this so, you know, exceptional? Because he's loving boldly. Now, the story where he goes to the Pharisee's house is interesting because that's also the alabaster jar where the woman comes in and pours the expensive perfume on his feet and they go, oh, surely this man isn't a prophet. So once again, Jesus is getting in trouble somewhere eating dinner because they're saying if he would know what kind of woman this was. You know, and he kind of rebukes them and says, you didn't offer me this washing your feet. You didn't offer me this. You didn't, you know, and she did all this with her tears. And, you know, and it's this really kind of beautiful story. But I think it's just interesting to see that, you know, how Jesus is constantly trying to be an example to religious leaders through speaking to them honestly, but also by not, by being willing to spend time with them, by being willing to build covenant with them, by willing to share meals with them. And, you know, of course, then just out of nowhere, someone comes in and, and shakes the party up. But this is loving boldly. And I don't know if we all know how to love boldly. It's so easy to get so stuck in theology and religion. It doesn't matter if you're right or left. And just kind of have a mind, a head full of, a head full of Jesus or a head full of, you know, and, and just a cold heart. You know, a head full of religion, a head full of Jesus, and uh, just live in, uh, what was that movie? Groundhog's Day. You know, we just do our same thing every day and go, oh, yeah, those are great stories. I'm so glad Jesus hung out with sinners. That was nice. So glad he hung out with people that weren't desirable. You know, that's cool. You know, I'm so glad he saw those people and they felt seen by him. That's neat. But how do we, like, if that's an example that is set for us, how do we do that? I, you know, curious. I think we, you know, it's clear that we try to make this a place of loving all people, but it's a, it's a tough, it's a tough thing. And I've always thought church was weird, even here, I mean, is doing revolution, is, you know, you're in a place where you expect people to come to you. But how do you go out to them without being like, do you know Jesus is a personal savior? But how do you love people without, without having any agenda? Because our f- missionary friendship is neither, I once heard, <laughs> it's neither friendship nor being <laughs> missionary. Um, you know, just loving people where they're at for who they are. Um, why was Jesus so successful at this? Because he's accepting them as is. He's accepting them as friends and equals. He's letting them know that they matter and that they have dignity. And it's not a pity. It's not out of pity, you know. Um, even going further, Jesus hung, you know, goes, has to go through Samaria, what we talked about earlier, talked about last week. You know, and hangs out with the woman at the well. And what does he do? He 
automatically makes her equals with all of the people in her community, even though she's coming in the midday when she would have been, you know, obviously an outcast. Jesus is saying, you're equal. What else did Jesus do? Jesus hung out with the sick because he healed them. So he's going to places where people didn't go. He was constantly being seen as unclean. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus lived a full life in, in 32 years. A life that was not a fear, not worrying about reputation. And it's so easy to put your self-worth in how other people think of you or feel about you. Um, especially your peers. And that was something that Jesus didn't seem to deal with, worry about, or at least seem to have an answer for. And uh, I've heard this. I've heard these verses preached in so many different ways, and and uh, made it to look like Jesus was being showing pity, or Jesus was, you know, you know. But he didn't, you know. But we don't do that, you know. But no. That's, this is what Jesus did. So what do we do with this? I think we have to realize that to be a sinner is to be called by Christ. It is to be a friend of Christ. Maybe we have to change our views of how we see the word sin. I think we do. Um, I think when we... To be called a sinner... It's kind of like how you hear the word repentance sometimes as this harsh, scary word. And sinner is automatically, like, if you, if you asked me, you played that, you know, the word game where someone says black and you say white and you say, you know, inside, you outside. You know, if you said sinner, I would be go bad. That would be the, probably what would pop into my head right away. But that's not... What Jesus saw. And it's strange how we've gotten so far away from that basic message, the basic journey, the basic life, these small stories that take for granted of Jesus. And while far we've gotten away from this, you know, seeing sinner in this horrible way, you know, and people say, well, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, you know. Poor me, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just humble, you know. And I want to go like, you know, that's Jesus kept saying, that's who I've come to call, that's who I've come to be with, that's who I've come to share meals with, you know. It's 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 something worth investigating. It's something worth taking a deeper look at. It's something worth thinking about. Well, what does this really mean? You know, instead of saying, oh, I'm going to just have pity on these poor sinners, you know. Jesus dines with them, builds relationships with them, and has them be his disciples. To me, that is grace in the flesh. It is what Paul talks about put into action. And the Apostle Paul was probably the best speaker on grace in the Bible, in my opinion. Um, Jesus gave us a great social justice gospel that I think is extremely important. But also in his actions, he gave us a grace. We always think, as Jesus talked about hell, 
But then you have to look up the different ways of ways he talked about hell. Was he actually talking about a place underground that's full of fire? Was he talking about a dump outside of Jerusalem? Or was he talking about another religion's idea of the afterlife? You know, Jesus had different thoughts on that. But, you know, so it's, over, it's so easy to gloss over these few scriptures where it's like, you know, but Jesus kept eating with people. He kept dining with people. He kept the wrong people, and as soon as you think you got him pegged, okay, well, then he loves tax collectors, and he loves drunkards, and he loves sinners, then the next thing you know, he's out at the Pharisee's house. Now, he didn't invite himself over to the Pharisee's house, but he's even over there eating with the Pharisees. Certainly didn't turn him down. So there's no pegging this guy. And so I've found through my years of work is how do you change and how do people change around you is by not having those barriers that says I won't go eat with such and such I got an email the, a text, now Facebook, sorry gosh, can't even keep up with all this stuff um, Facebook message uh, and it was a video of my dad, I guess there's these videos going around of my dad saying crazy stuff you know, and so the person sends it to me and uh, just for everybody's, if you're wondering if there's something to do, no. <laughs> Please don't send me videos, either crazy or normal, of uh, my parents. It's just not something that I like. Um, and, I mean, I've had friends ask me, like, oh, you should watch it. It's hilarious. I'm like, yay, you know, uh, I don't think life comes with trigger warnings, but, you know, that one I can tell you enough that that would probably trigger me a little bit. You know, I've spent way too much time in psychiatrist's office <laughs> dealing with that stuff. So I asked the person, why, why would you send this to me? And uh, they go, because your father's a fraud and needs to be pointed out for what he is and blah, blah, blah. And you're a fraud, but you just put whipped cream and cherries on top. <laughs> yeah. So I liked that, that I put whipped cream and cherries. So I you know. But, it, it, you know, what do you do with that? And I, I blocked the guy. I didn't do Jesus. I just blocked him because I didn't know what else to do because I was so dang mad. Um, and I didn't want to say something I would regret. So that was kind of my way of giving grace to him and myself. Um, because this wasn't someone who was looking to have a grown-up conversation, I don't think. And uh, at the time, I wasn't feeling very adult. Um, I don't know why I told you that story, but I guess the idea is is that, oh, well, you know, the difference between me and my dad, you know, and I guess some people, you know, see my dad as crazy and out of touch and things like that, and I wanted to cut myself off from that. But a strange thing happens when you become a father and you have a child and you want that child to know their grandparent and you go oh and you kind of see you start I've learned so much having a child having you know just so much about that relationship that I've always been told that God how God loves us or how Jesus says you know come to me little children, come to me as little children. You know, it's definitely not how I was taught to think about it growing up. Um, 
because kids aren't the most innocent things in the world. They're pretty wild and funny and things like that, but they are very trusting and loving. Um, but it's taught me to love in a different way and to put certain things aside. And I feel like that's what you see with Christ when he goes into the Pharisees. Yeah, he doesn't like what the Pharisees say. He doesn't like what the Pharisees do. But he loves the Pharisee. You know? And yeah, I don't like a lot of the stuff my father says or does. But I love my father. You know? And I also know the only way that for him to change is through a relationship. If I don't have a relationship with him, and there's going to be nothing, you know, and I know when we do sit together, we do have conversations and do talk, and it does get weird, <laughs> as a lot of people's relationships with their family do. But to me, you know, Jesus shows us that as followers of Christ, our prejudices and our, our hurts and our thing, you know, some of these things have to be put aside in order to build relationships. And Martin Luther King did that a lot, you know, sat with the people who eventually killed him. Jesus was doing that a lot, sitting with people who eventually would have him killed or be killed. He was actually killed by Rome, not by... So it was actually his his uh, his, his tax-collecting disciples were probably more connected to the people who killed him than the Pharisees. Um, but there's that weird thing... So maybe we have to change our view. Uh, in, in Romans it says, all sin, all fall short of the glory of God. It doesn't say some, it doesn't say a few, it says all. And we see this grace lived out in Jesus. You know, and I guess my point with the story earlier was is that, you know, I, I see when people make fun of my parents, do I, my dad, do I see that it's funny? Yeah, I get it. You know, do I see that it's, some of the stuff he's saying is kind of wild and seems out, yeah, I get that, you know. But at the same time, because I've made a choice to love beyond that, sometimes I just have to say, I don't, you know, I'm going to ignore it. I'm not going to look at that because there's something more important there. There's a relationship that's more important than that than the stuff, than even the theology, than our, even our religious beliefs. Faith, hope, and love are the greatest, three greatest things they will remain. And the greatest of those is love. And with Jesus, we see this constant love of people who don't necessarily feel loved. He shows them love, gives them love. He's constantly loving the wrong people. And I, you know, was told part of my life that my parents were the wrong people and I, you know, but I still love them. Um, thank, you know, it's, 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 it's Jesus' example that allows me to take, to take what I had and just say forget about it because love has to ultimately win. I have to love people. I have to love is the higher law. And uh, it's these examples of Christ's eating with people, telling of stories, just living life. And I hope that we can get something out of that. 
I hope that it can touch our heart in a way that it affects us. You know, and why I say all that is because I have been, like I said earlier, I've been feeling my faith's on shaky ground. I've been wrestling with my own belief. You know, and when I I look at these, do I just look at these verses and just blow them off, or do I continue to follow through? And so I want to try to continue to follow through. I want to live a life like that. Am I living a life like that? I. Right now, I'm living a life of trying to just pay my bills and take care of my son and, and do those things. Um, but I know that I have those glimpses of that life. And, uh, but it's some hard, hard, hard to feel it sometimes. So, anyway, I hope we all are encouraged to love each other more, spend time with one another, be willing to accept covenant with one another, and love those who seem unlovable and not, and not worry about what other people think. Love radically. You know, if we can learn to love radically and without boundaries... You know, who knows what can happen? Who knows who can change? And you know what you might find out is that you find yourself changing as well. And growing more inside and learning more about patience and learning more about suffering and learning more about enduring that you yourself are able to live a better life. A life full of wisdom, a life full of patience, a life full of kindness and you know that maybe those voices of depression and and shame and things like that get a little bit weaker and that's what i've been working on and you know what they've been getting a little bit weaker voices that say you'd be better off dead you know what they're getting weaker and uh the weaker they get the more i want to love other people or the more I love other people, the weaker they get. I don't know. But I certainly do. That's what I'm getting out of it. And uh, by no means am I, you know, I, I don't want to set myself up as this Jesus character. All I can tell you is like when I follow that example uh, from Jesus, those are some of the things that I seem start to come to pass. And uh, I start to see the trees again. I start to see the water again. I start to see uh, the rain again, you know. And, and the beauty and the grace and those things. I'm going to pray. Lord, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. Uh, I thank you for Jesus and his willingness to eat with people and share meals. And uh, that, that story was passed down to us and able to give us hope and able to know that we would be able to share a meal with Christ as well. I thank you for that and ask that you just shower us with grace and acceptance and love and uh, we learn to grow from that. Amen.